6. Amen. For the last two Sundays, we've been talking about renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. And it would probably benefit you if you have not um, had a chance to experience those uh, two uh, messages uh, to go back and do that. You can do it on the church website, my Facebook page, lots of ways you can access that, either the video or just the podcast, the audio of that. And so we're going to do a little bit of review, but some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning are things that we've already spent time building and establishing over the last couple of weeks. So if some of it sounds you know, a little foreign to you or what have you, know that there's deeper explanation for it um, in uh, our past uh, two uh, sessions on this subject. Amen. But let's begin this morning at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're, we're linking a lot of things together, and so I appreciate uh, you being patient uh, as we do this. The Bible says that if we're going to have sound doctrine in our lives in these last days, we're going to have to endure it. In, in other words, it, it's, it takes some effort and some time uh, for us to really get the truth established and, and producing in our lives, and so I appreciate you enduring uh, with me as we uh, allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to teach us these things. So he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, and having done all to stand, where am I? Praise God. I didn't get it up on the screen. I apologize. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So a few things that we've just been emphasizing is that Father God has provided this armor for us, but it is our responsibility to to take it up and to put it on. And so you notice even as he listed these individual pieces, these individual implements, that on each one of them, you know, he's saying that gird your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod, cover your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, take the shield of faith. And all of these things are speaking of things that are your responsibility and my responsibility. Now, the um, Bible also emphasizes here that this is what we must do if we're going to stand. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, bring any kind of condemnation or shame upon myself or guilt upon myself, nor am I trying to bring any of that upon you. But if we are going to step back and take an honest look at our lives, um, if there's areas where we keep stumbling and falling, um, I'm going to guarantee you that it's because there's an area in my life where I'm not effectively putting on the armor of God. In, in other words, there, if there's some temptation, if there's some uh, issue, if there's some dominant negative emotion, if there's some you know, habit or, or what have you, uh, that I keep falling where I should be standing. And, and again, it's not to shame anybody. It's to you know, take an honest look. The Bible says if you'll judge yourself, you won't be judged. Amen. 
Um, and, and not to heap condemnation upon yourself, but so that the Lord can show us, show me, show you um, where it is that the enemy is able to penetrate uh, and, and, is, and is getting through, where we're being uh, negligent in the armor, so to speak. Because this is what the Bible tells you and me, and if you believe the Bible, and I know you do, amen, that if we have on the whole armor of God, we're going to be able to stand. If, if we have on what we have been given to put on, then we're going to win, we're, we're going to be victorious every time, not sometime, most of the time, always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. The other thing that we've been emphasizing here is that we put on the armor to stand against the wiles of the devil, not the power or the authority of the devil. Uh, Jesus has stripped him of his power and authority, but it's his schemes, it's his deceptions, it's his methods, it's his tricks. Um, these are the things that we are suiting up to be able to stand against. So if you can learn to win and be victorious over the devil's wiles against you, then you can be victorious in life. And so you woke up on a battlefield this morning. The question is not if blows are coming your way. The question is whether or not you will be wearing armor when they come. The question is, again, I want to say this 15,000 times, amen, it's not if blows are coming. The blows are coming. Jesus told you they were coming. This is not me trying to be negative or some doomsdayer. Jesus told us in this world you will have tribulation. So the blows are coming. It's not if the blows are coming. It's whether or not you're going to have, I'm going to have on the whole armor of God when they come, when they come. So this leads us to what I believe is, is not just an extremely important thing for us to know and consider. I believe it's something specifically that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing for you and me during this season um, of our life and growth together. In other words, what the Holy Spirit, let's go back to 2019. 2019, the Holy Spirit was speaking to us about uh, protection and, and, and how to effectively uh, walk in protection and things of this nature. Notice he was preparing us for 2020. He was talking about the blessing and the curse, right, and, and how to operate in the blessing and how to uh, avoid the curse. All of that leading up to um, what was one of the more challenging years, uh, just as far as what was going on in the world around us, that, that we've ever experienced. So if I've just done this long enough to know that if the Holy Spirit is really emphasizing to you and me the importance of the armor of God, it's because He's trying to prepare us and get us in a position to stand against things that are coming. Amen? All right. Now, <clears throat> this leads us then to a very important question. How do we practically and effectively put on the whole armor of God? Um, this is not, uh, you know, imaginary. This is not, you know, some great metaphor or something like that. Um, th this is something real. It's, it's spiritual, but it's real nonetheless. And there is something very... Uh, specific, I believe, involved in, in practically and effectively putting on the whole armor of God. So thankfully, the Bible has uh, much to say about this idea of putting something on. So let's go now to Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we uh, finished on last Sunday together. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm stating the obvious now, but Ephesians 4 comes prior to Ephesians 6. So when he mentions in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God, if that's all we had, if that's the only reference we had in the scriptures to putting something spiritual on, it might leave us scratching our heads. But the Holy Spirit has already in previous chapters 
um, explained uh, in, in more detail uh, this concept, this, this, this truth of, of putting something on. Now, the context of this is, we're going to begin in verse 17, Ephesians 4 and 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, before I go any further, I want to I point something out to you that is key to understanding this portion of Scripture. And the thing that I want to point out to you is the two key dimensions of your existence that these verses are dealing with. They're dealing with uh, specifically your thinking, which takes place in the part of you the Bible calls your soul. And these verses are dealing with um, our behavior. Uh, and so that takes place in this area of your, uh, your, this dimension of your existence that the Bible calls your body or your flesh. So in a moment, he's going to talk about our former conduct. He's talking about uh, the, 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 the things we used to do before we were born again and how some of that conduct is now lingering after uh, we, we've been uh, made new creations in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason I'm wanting you to see this is because you are a three-dimensional being. Um, you are a spirit. You possess a soul. And, and the spirit and the soul are housed or contained within uh, your physical body. So spirit, soul, and body. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2 primarily other places, but chapter 2 is one of the uh, greatest chapters in all the Bible uh, that explains and, and breaks down what it means for a man or woman to be born again, for a man or woman to, to receive salvation, to be saved. And there he talks about what took place in your spirit and your nature uh, when you were saved. That's chapter 2, okay? So then we come to chapter 4, where he says that, look, you guys have been born again, you guys have received salvation, but many of you are still living like Gentiles, like heathens, like people who have no God, uh, that have no co- people who have no covenant with God, okay? And notice he says that they're doing this um, not because they aren't saved, but they're doing this because they're living out of the futility of their mind. So it's, it's a behavior problem that's being caused by a thinking problem. They're still living like heathens because they're still thinking like heathens. All right? Now, so this is providing the context. This is setting the stage for, um, for what's to come. So let's skip down to Ephesians 4 now and verse 20. He says, But you have not so learned Christ. And this word learned here is the root word for discipleship. So he's talking about a process of learning and growing. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you will find rest for your souls. So when he gives you rest, that's something that he places in your spirit. Your spirit comes at rest. But if we're ever going to enjoy and experience the rest that he gives, we're going to have to learn from him. Amen. We're going to have to learn how to live like free people. It's one thing to be made righteous. It's another thing to let him teach you how to live like a righteous person. Amen. And Jesus in his infinite, God in his infinite wisdom knew that you could never live in a way contrary to who and what you really are. So if he, his ultimate goal is for you to live in freedom. 
But before he could ever set you free, he knew he'd have to make you free. You're going to have to become a free man in order to live as a free man. Or else you'll live your whole life like an escaped slave. And that's where a lot of people are in the body of Christ, by the way. A lot of people in the body of Christ are trying to... They, they see themselves and believe that they're sinners trying to live in, in, you know, free from sin. So they're, they, they're trying to escape. Are you with me this morning? They're trying to outrun it. A lot of folks struggle with addiction. They, they still see themselves as a, as, as a slave uh, to alcohol or to, or to drugs, but now they're trying to live in freedom. So they're, they're trying to escape it. Jesus didn't come to, so you could escape it. He came to make you a free man. Now, if you'll let him teach you how to live as a free man, right? Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. So you've not so learned Christ. So he's saying, if indeed uh, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, there's a whole lot of folks in the church at Ephesus who, you know, were saved, but they haven't committed themselves to this discipleship process. They haven't, they haven't learned Christ. They haven't been indeed taught by him and, and, and learned the truth that uh, is in him and that Jesus came to reveal to all of us. Verse 22, it's a key verse. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So here we have these words again, put on. Here he's not saying put on the whole armor of God. Here he's saying put off the old man, put on the new man. Put off the old, put on the new. Now, just a brief review of what we covered last week when we made it to this point uh, in, in, our, in our time together last week. And, and, and that is that the, um, praise God, so much to say here. The old man is speaking of the spirit you were and the nature you had before being born again. That's the old man. The new man is speaking of the spirit you became and the nature you received through the new birth. Right? So what we have to understand is, is, is there's clarification here that a lot of people overlook. He's not saying put off the old man. When you were born again, the old man was, was crucified with Christ and buried in an unmarked grave. He's saying put off concerning the former conduct, the old man. The old man ha- died with Christ. The old sin nature was buried with Christ. And when you were born again, you were raised up together with Him to newness of life. You became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, uh, Behold, uh, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And now all things, now Second Corinthians 5, I'm quoting now, now all things are of God. Okay? Now, let's just real quick, like I'm not trying to treat you like, you know, preschoolers, elementary schoolers, but let's just elementary, basic fundamentals, let's walk our way through it. You are a three-dimensional being. Did your flesh, did your body die with Christ and was buried in an unmarked grave? The answer is no. Did your soul die with Christ, buried in an unmarked grave, raised up to brand new? No. It was your spirit. Your spirit. He told Nicodemus, 
You must be born of the flesh and then you must be born again of the Spirit. It's your spirit that was born anew. It was your spirit that was born again. It's your spirit that became completely new. It's your spirit. That's where the old man lived before you were born again. And now your spirit is the new man, amen, that you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. So when he says put off the old man, if you just, if you just say put off the old man, you know, you're thinking, well, how, how can I do that? Well, you can't do that. You have to surrender to Jesus and His completed work for you in order to put off the old man. Now, he's saying putting off the old man concerning the former conduct. Put off concerning the former conduct, the old man. Right? So he's talking about uh, behavior that lingers. Why does the behavior linger? The behavior lingers because the thinking lingers. Because we still think like the old man, we still have a tendency to behave like the old man, even though we are not the old man any longer. I want to shout this from the rooftops. Praise God. All right, so did your soul die? No. Was your soul recreated? No. Did your body or your flesh die? No. Was your body recreated? No. Did your spirit die? Yes. Was your spirit recreated? Yes. This is the part of you that became completely new. This is why the Bible speaks of your salvation in three tenses. One tense for each dimension of your existence. Have been saved, are being saved, shall be saved. Past tense, spirit has been. Present tense, soul is being. Future tense, body shall be. Amen. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it under the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the new man is the new you. The new man is the real you. The new man is, is, is who you are now and who you will forever be. First John says that it doth not yet appear what we will be like, but we, will, we know that when we see Him, we will be like Him because we are already like Him. Thank you, Jesus. Now, more to come on all that later. So, earlier chapters in Ephesians make it clear the old man is not just gone, he's dead. He's dead and gone. That's the truth. That's the reality as far as your spirit and true nature are concerned. So chapter 4 is addressing our thinking or soul and our behavior, our body, and our flesh. All right, now, how do we... This is. Let me just put this up right quick. Notice again, emphasize it, that you put off comma concerning your former conduct... The old man, the old man, the old man. Now, I got more stuff than we can cover this morning, so let me try to um, um, ask the Holy Spirit before I got up here and you just be in agreement with me that he'd show me exactly what, what, we, need to, uh, what we need to look at. Okay, thank you, Lord. Now, let's go back. Praise God. I'm going to go back and put the scriptures up. I wish I, had a, a, I wish I had a slide that had it all on one slide, but <clears throat> let's go back to verses 22 and 23. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed. Notice verse 23 begins with a lowercase a. It's all the same sentence, just later it was divided into chapter and verse. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So here's a really, really important clue if we're ever going to understand how to practically and effectively put something off and put something on if that something is something spiritual. He says that in order to put off the old man concerning the former conduct and put on the new man, again, we've already become a new man, so now we're talking about putting on the behavior, putting on the lifestyle. Remember what we said last week, and I I know that there's so much here and we keep trying to go back and review some of it, but let me just remind you again, he's not just talking about behavior He's talking about the quality of life. He's talking about the abundant life that Jesus promised us in John the 10th chapter. The only reason he ever has anything to say about your conduct is because your conduct has so much influence and impact on what he's most concerned about, and that's your condition or quality of life. So it's not just that these born-again believers... Um, were living like heathens, even though they weren't heathens anymore, just disobeying and committing sin after sin, but they were also living alienated from the life of God. They were living separated from the benefits of their salvation. They were living separated from all that belongs to them because of their birthright as an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. They were missing out on the joy and the peace and the, and, and, and the prosperity and the protection. They were, they were missing out on all of these benefits. Not because God had withheld them from them, not because God had not given them to them, but because, again, the futility of their minds, the futility of their thinking. So how do we, let's just try to narrow this focus then. How do we put on this new man? We put on this new man by being renewed in the spirit of our mind. How do we put off the conduct of the... So when I... Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me go back. How do we put on the conduct and the lifestyle of the new man that we've already become? By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. How do we put off the conduct and the lifestyle of the old man? By being renewed in the spirit of our mind. So clearly the answer here and the actual practical effective way that we put on or put off is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, let let me, there's much to say here, but let me try to, let me try to, Step aside for just a moment and and show you. Um, have you ever have you ever heard the expression um, "so and so lives on in their children"? You ever heard that? Yeah, have you? Um, well, this is obviously talking about somebody who has passed away. They're they're no longer alive on this earth, but yet we would say that they live on. In, in their children, okay? I, I had an ex- experience this week where my grandmother lived on in her grandson. My grandmother, my Mimi, my mother's mother, when she got ready for dessert, she called dessert sweetening. 
And I put it in my notes. I don't even know how you spell it. She would say, are you ready for some sweetening? Okay, hear my mama laughing back there, right? Are you ready for some sweetening? And then she might kind of do her head to the side and do her fingers up like this, right? Because my Mimi loved dessert. I'm ready for some sweetening. Anybody ready for some sweetening? Okay. So Pam and I ate supper. I don't know what day this week. We ate supper this week. And I looked at her and I said, I think I want some sweetening. I, I, you know, I, I'm trying to think what we had in the kitchen for dessert. Not, not a lot. Amen. A couple brownies left over from something we'd made for one of our neighbors. And so notice, though, my grandmother, she, she's, she's dead, but she's living on. To, to be very clear, my Mimi's spirit and soul is in heaven. Her body is over here in Highland Memorial Cemetery. Okay? But her influence on me is living on. Notice now her words and expressions are, are living on. And I, obviously you probably have things like this in your family. It, it continues to live through me. Now, one of the things that, that makes this challenging to really nail down, and I think the Holy Spirit is, as a matter of fact, in just a moment, I'm going to tell you, I, I am for the first time in, I don't know, 30 plus years of preaching, I, I will confidently stand before a group of people and tell them what the spirit of your mind is, okay? Fixed to tell you, all right? But part of what makes this so challenging is that word spirit. Do you see it? That spirit, the spirit of your mind. In the original language, the word for spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. We get our English word pneumatic from that word, okay? So if you've ever used an air tool, you've used a pneumatic wrench, a a, a pneumatic hammer, this is a, a tool that is powered by air. And so the word means breath and breathe. You may not know this, but in Greek, they, they do not capitalize. Like in English, when we are referring to pneuma, meaning the Holy Spirit, we'll put a capital S. But when they wrote the scriptures, they, they didn't put a capital P for pneuma so that we would know they were referring to the Holy Spirit. So pneuma can mean Holy Spirit. Pneuma can mean uh, a demonic spirit. It can mean an angelic spirit. It can mean a human spirit. It can mean a, a, a breath of or a blast of air. It, it can also go into things like, like we would say, someone in the Marine Corps, the esprit de corps, the, the, the way in which a person carries themselves, the, the spirit of the corps. And so when you, when you see this word spirit of the mind, you know, you start thinking, okay, is this the Holy Spirit? Is this the human spirit? Is this, is this an attitude? In other, in other words, it, it makes it somewhat challenging to really try to understand exactly what it means to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, this word spirit also carries with it a general meaning or what we would often maybe call in English a metaphorical meaning. Are you still with me? Right? So spirit here can also mean, generally speaking, metaphorically speaking, that which gives life to a thing. That which gives life to a thing. 
Okay? So notice now the spirit of my grandmother. I'm not talking about her spirit that's in heaven. I'm talking about the spirit of my grandmother in my soul, in my mind, is still giving life to her words and expressions. I'm not, I'm not trying to be spooky here. I'm not talking about like literally her. But I'm talking about her influence. I'm talking about how she's left a mark on me and, and our family. I'm talking about ways even that, that we fondly remember her. Are you with me? All, all of these things, it's the, it's the spirit of it. It's the spirit of it in the sense that it's something inside of me that still gives life to it. Are you, are you following this? So when we talk about the spirit of your mind, we're talking about the way your old man that's dead. He's in an unmarked grave. With Jesus buried him there, right? So how can he be dead and still give life to things in your existence? The same way my grandmother can be in heaven and still give life to things in my existence. It's the influence that remains in my mind. It's the influence that remains in my thinking. Amen. The old man doesn't, he, the, only, the only place he could literally exist would be in my spirit. He doesn't exist there anymore. Remember last week we used that word figment? You ever heard the expression, a figment of someone's imagination? This is, this is when something seems real but is not. It only exists in the realm of thought. It only exists in the realm of thought. So let me, please, if I could, just really simplify this for you. And, and, and then we're going to take a little more time to, to, to dig into this. I, I am, the simplest way, and I believe the Holy Spirit, I'm not taking credit for this at all. I'm telling you it's the Holy Spirit, okay? But here is what I believe the spirit of your mind actually is. As simple as he has showed me how to say it to you um, to date, all right? The spirit of your mind is your self-image that exists in your mind. It's your self-image. It's how you see yourself. It's how you think of yourself. It's the image that you have of yourself in your mind. The spirit of your mind. Come on now. Self-image. How you see yourself. How you think about yourself. The image that you have of yourself that exists in your mind. This is the spirit of your mind. Romans 12 tells us to be renewed in our minds. The renewing of the mind. This is, this is speaking of all kinds of, of, of different areas of thought and thinking. It, it, it's like the umbrella that covers anything that has to do with the mind. And it needs to be renewed. It, the thoughts need to be brought captive. And, 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 and they, they must bow their knee uh, to, the, to the truth and the word of God. And so Romans 12 is speaking of a general, all-inclusive renewing of the mind. Ephesians 4 is talking specifically about the image that you have of yourself in your mind, the spirit of your mind, that which would try to, to, to continue to give life in, in, in your existence to the old man. Oh, I want you to see this so bad. So if, if you still have heathen thinking... If, if you still see yourself as 30% heathen and 70% Christian, you, you see, you know, this is your image, the image that you have of yourself. 
He's saying you've got to be renewed in the self-image of your mind. It's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to see yourself as someone who's been born again. It's one thing to be made free. It's another thing to think of yourself as someone who is just as free this morning as Jesus is free. Someone who's just as righteous this morning as Jesus is righteous. See, you've been made righteous. When you were born again, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your old man was anything but righteous. Your old man was darkness. Your old man was conniving. Your old man was selfish. And now the residue that he's left on your soul, the residue that he's left in your mind, most specifically the influence he still has on your self-image, it'll give life to him. It'll give life to him. It's kind of cute, you know, sweetening. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? It's kind of cute sweetening. Oh, sweetening ain't that sweet, right? Not so cute when you're gossiping and judging and cursing and waving the middle finger, uh, you know, at people that cut you off in traffic. Then the devil jumps on you. You ain't no Christian. What are you even trying to go over that church for? Wanting to do that? Why are you lusting after that woman? Blah, blah, blah. See, again, you think, man, I, you must not be saved. Is it, it does it not tell you something about the enemy when every born-again person in this room has been told multiple times throughout your born-again life that you're not saved? You ain't saved. You're not. A, if you was a Christian, you wouldn't. If you, if you this, if you that, you're not, you're not saved. You're not. Why is it that, that we have this tendency to question our salvation? It's because the devil never wants you to have an image of yourself as a saved man. He never wants you to think of yourself as someone who has truly, genuinely been saved. Because someone who has truly, genuinely been saved has truly been genuinely saved forever. It is a reality from which there is no return, my friend. You became something. That there's only one way to become and there's no one doing it. And the devil knows. He knows. He knows. He knows that if he can get you to respond to some situation in your life right now by committing a sin, that that sin will not keep you from going to heaven and it will not keep you from being saved. He knows that, but he is banking on you never having that image of yourself in your mind. What is that? That's putting on the helmet of salvation. That's living every day of your life with an image of yourself as a saved man, as a saved woman. Are you hearing me? Let me ask you some questions. How much, wait, 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 let's go back up here. So the spirit of your mind is your self-image. It's who you think you are. It's who you believe you are. It's how you see yourself. Okay? Now, I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I'm not, since the Lord's been showing me this, 
Man, he's answering questions in my life. Are you hearing me? He's answering. He's answering questions in my life, right? Things about rejection for me. I, don't, I, I know rejection is, is powerful. It's a powerful factor in a lot of our lives. But I just, I'm just bearing my soul. One of the things he's showing me is that I have allowed past rejections to form a wrong self-image in me. Amen. Amen. See yourself as somebody that nobody else really wants. I'm, I'm not happy about that. That's changing really fast right now in my life. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you. You have enough people reject you. If you're not careful, you'll start having an image of yourself of somebody that people don't want to be around, that people don't want to hear from. I want you to think for a moment about the image you have of yourself. And here's a few questions for you. How much of that image was formed by your past life? How much of the image that you have of yourself right now was formed by your old man? How much of your self-image was formed by something other than the truth from the Word of God? Yeah. See, we start talking about self. We think, well, self-image, we... You know, that's not something to be talked about from a pulpit. That's, that's for the psychologist. That's for the psychiatrist. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's, the Bible's got a lot to say about it, right? Your soul is your suche, by the way, P-S-U-C-H-E. We get our English word psyche, psychology, psychiatry from that word. How much of your self-image, the self-image you have, the way you see yourself right now, is formed by something other than the truth from the Word of God. So do you see why he says put on the belt of truth? The devil's worst nightmare is the day that you begin to see yourself the way your father sees you. How much of your self-image fails to consider what it really means to be saved? How much of your self-image contradicts what it means to be made the righteousness of God? I'll, I'll tell you real quick how, how you can begin to answer that question. If you deal with a constant sense of shame, a constant sense of guilt, a constant sense of, 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 of condemnation, unworthiness, right? All of, all of that is manifestation from a wrong image of yourself as a born-again child of God. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. But oh my goodness gracious, how many born-again people live and struggle with shame and condemnation and guilt and unworthiness and all these things? It's because we've allowed an image to remain in us that contradicts what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So if you're ever going to put off the behavior and lifestyle of the old man, you must put off the image of him that lingers in your mind. And if you're ever going to put on the behavior and lifestyle of the new man, 
you must, must put on the image of that new man in your mind. Singers and musicians, come on, please. Are you getting anything out of this? Listen now, we don't, we, don't need, we don't need to go here without the Holy Spirit. But you need to ask Him. You need to ask Him, right? To help you see. There's, there's, there's a lot that's, that's, that's about to come gushing forth on this subject. But one of, the, one of the key things is how you see yourself. This is, I'll show it to you in the, in the Bible. The image that you have of yourself is the image you believe other people have of you. The image you have of yourself is the image you believe other people have of you. You will never believe other people think you're capable if you believe you're incapable. If you believe you can't, you believe other people believe you can't, even if they believe you can. Take that one more step. What then, what influence then does that have on our response? How many opportunities have we turned down because we believed we couldn't and we thought other people believed we couldn't and so why even bother? Few things have more influence on your day-to-day life experience than your self-image. The quality of life that you live and the way you behave. Few things have more influence over that than how you see yourself. One last thing and we'll partake of communion. The enemy of your soul, the devil, has tried your entire life to form a wrong image of yourself inside of you. He's tried your whole life to make you believe you're a loser, to make you believe you're less than, to make you believe you're a nobody to make you believe you can't make a difference, to make you believe that nobody cares, to make you believe that you're not worth anything, to make you believe... He's tried your whole life to get you to see yourself that way. He was hedging his bet that, you know, if you ever got born again, he's going to have to try to contain you after that. So even if you figured out a way to ditch the old man, he was trying to get some things in place that would continue to live on inside your soul, inside your mind to prevent you from ever becoming, ever living in reality who it is that Father created you to be.
His word to us this morning is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the self-image that exists in your mind. Praise God. All right, stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to be partaking of communion this morning. Um, If you did not grab your emblems on the table, you can go ahead and do that now. It's no disrespect. We continue to do this just, you know, wisdom, precautions, and multiple people touching things that we're going to be putting in our mouths. So we thought this would be the easiest way to do it. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Something inside of me longs for confirmation that this is making sense to you and that, that, that these, amen, I'm not, I got my eyes closed, I'm not asking you to give me a shout out, I'm just saying my heart is for you to lay hold of this because I'm, there's a root here that if we'll let the Holy Spirit help us with, it will affect so many other things in our lives for the better. Praise God. Praise God. Let's, um, you peel the first clear plastic back and remove the wafer. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we, we say, first of all, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, you gave the ultimate gift so that we could experience the ultimate transformation, the the, the ultimate um, recreation in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you submitted yourself to your Father's will and plan all the way to the obedience of death on the cross. Your body was broken so that our bodies could be made well and whole again, so that we could be made right again so that even our physical bodies could receive healing from sickness and disease. And so Jesus, on this first Sunday in February, we pause as a family of faith to remember your sacrifice, to remember the horrible death that you endured so that we could have the wonderful life now. The life of God in us, among us, upon us, and through us. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, we take the cup. Jesus said that it represented the covenant and the blood of the covenant for the removal of our sins. Father, this blood removed everything that would ever separate us from you and then made us one with you. This precious blood and the covenant that it ratified, an eternal covenant, 
that makes us sons and daughters this morning. That makes us fit vessels for the Spirit of God Himself to dwell in. Father, we thank You for this precious blood. Jesus, thank You for enduring the cross, despising the shame. Father, as we partake of this cup now by faith, we pray that healing would be released in the bodies of those that are partaking. Father, that answers would come as we humbly obey. That breakthroughs would be realized. That answers would become obvious. That pathways would be made straight and clear. Father, we drink this cup now in remembrance of Jesus and the price that he paid. Amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The Bible says that after they partook, that they sang together and then were dismissed. So John Mark's going to lead us now.